0: Well, it's a great privilege, always, and a great honour to speak at these events, and I feel um, uh, often uh, under-equipped to do so. But I do bring a passion for music to the subject, so I hope that will carry me through. Um, More than that, we pray and hope our Lord will be in our midst. Um, Because I think the topic is helpful and the topic is important. But I did promise that myself, I almost also promised the Lord that I would not be negative this time, <laughs> as I have so often been. <laughs> so what I wrote was, the scandal of the church situation in music. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. The rich panoply of various styles which prevail in the church.
1: <laughs>
0: no, I thought better not do that. Um. But there is a hidden point, perhaps not so hidden, which is that when a student enrolls in an undergraduate course in music, I think it's still true, although I wouldn't be surprised if some political correctness has crept in. They have to buy a foundational book, a, a history of Western music. Now, if they're going to specialize in ethnic music, that will come on top of that platform. But they buy these books. There are several of them, very distinguished What you're really reading um, is the history of the Western Church up until about, roughly, 1750. So the church, the Latin church primarily, though not solely, uh, generated and patronised the arts. And the language of music coming out of plainchant and coming out of the early medieval polyphony forms started to move through the Renaissance into the secular field, but with the death of, and this I'm sure was not contrived, with the death of Handel and Bach, J.S. Bach, that's 1750-1759, the music quite suddenly and abruptly moves out of the church and the cathedral into the concert hall and the opera house and the recital room. And in the 19th century, you start to see huge developments in music uh, in terms of orchestral orchestration, techniques, form, expansion of form, and an expansion of dramatic expression. Meanwhile, alas, in the church, the music has stayed where it was around 1750, with a lot of imitators of Handel, and not so much Bach, but Handel certainly. And a kind of stultification, and it stays that way really in the English-speaking world until the late 19th century, when under people like Hubert Parry and C. V. Stanford, the church music starts to revive. France went through a similar downswing, but on a, at a secular level. Uh, you had the churches and cathedrals sometimes turned into pal- palaces of entertainment. Uh, church music fell away, but there was symphonic and uh, secular, if you will, um, musical developments, which brought that music along. came a bit slower in the English-speaking world, but um, there were hymns, yes, of course, but in terms of significant blocks of influence and uh, enterprise moving the whole discipline along, uh, the church kind of lost it after the death of Bach and Handel. It's beginning to recover it in some very wonderful ways. And of course, all through these timelines, there are exceptions to the rule. But this is just a very broad thing. The Western mode of music, it seems to me, it's being around long enough, offers such a rich panoply of expression, expressive tools, which um, are unrivaled. You have timbre, well, first of all, form, length, can be any length, or can be very short. It's not dictated by commercial radio as most pop music has been historically. Uh, you've got to get the adverts in so you don't want songs that are too long. They must fit on to a 10-inch 78 uh, disc. Uh, the, it's not bound by that. The orchestration is rich. You have strings, winds, percussion, brass. You have numerous exotic additions to that. This is in some way part of the uniqueness of what we loosely call classical music. You have a huge range of dynamics from almost inaudible, as you'll hear in the course of the music, to triple forte, <laughs> which you will also hear in a minute. Um, and it, I could go on. You, you see the point. It, it's a palette, an artist's palette, of immense richness. And it owes a huge amount of that variety and richness to its Christian heritage and rootedness but many things happen subsequently sometimes though within the secular realm with an eye to the church or through the personal faith of the composer say a Mendelssohn as just one example what I wanted to show was the attributes of our Lord God in so far in a limited way they can be reflected or have been reflected in certain kinds of music. And one of those aspects, of course, is uh, our Lord's um, power, his holiness, perhaps more than any other aspect, his intolerance for evil, the fact that evil cannot go away uh, and think it will not be accountable. It will be. So (laughs) when... uh, Thomas Tallis, 16th century uh, composer who lived, of course, for the Reformation in time for the Reformation, uh, took his skills and submitted them, if you will, to the impulses of the day, which were that let me just quote from uh, Matthew Donovan, the uh, <coughs> excuse me just look, I've lost the spot. yeah. I won't waste time, can't find it, doesn't matter. There was an insistence that the texts, if we're going to have choral music, if we're going to have music to listen to in the course of worship, there must be clarity and there must be emphasis given to the text. So the tendency was to come away from detailed, florid music, pre-Reformation music, and go for a more homophonic, as it's called, style, where the words really... Come through clearly. Here is Thomas Tallis's Let God Arise and His Enemies Be Scattered. just a short little piece, Um, the clarity of the words shaped the music. It's interesting to see how other people have moved through an expression of God's wrath. A God who will bring judgment. This is uh, how Verdi sees the Dies Ire, the Day of Wrath. It's a bit slow, and they uptake this thing. Come on! It's quite a long way from the 16th century. the day of wrath that day will dissolve the world in ashes as david and the sibyl prophesied of the 19th century Giuseppe Verdi Verdi is able to take advantage of the expanded symphonic orchestra the huge dynamic range that that offers with the percussion and the extra brass and the doubling of instruments especially in the woodwinds and brass a huge chorus And I think through this kind of music we get, in our limited perception, just a glimpse of how our Lord will appear on that day. It's not enough, but it's a help. Okay, now that's all. We go a step further to Hector Berlioz. And this is how he sees the the trumpet. A trumpet shall sound vast huge op, antiphonal off stage groupings. a new um, dimension to the oft-heard phrase if you're a music director the organ's loud
1: (laughs) Chuba Mirum
0: Part of the Deuteronomy text. So this is the trumpet call, and all creation rises again to answer to the judge. The translation. on the king of dreadful majesty who freely saves the redeemed ones save me O font of pity I'm sorry to cut these but we have to keep moving Um, interesting glimpse uh, through the art form of uh, of only a glimpse of judgment um What's so thrilling about that music is that it, the composer has decided that this is weighty, that the issues involved are serious, <laughs> there is no time here for um, sweet reflection, that there is an alarm, an alarm element in it all, and there is a wake-up call, ooh, um, which is. <laughs> so there we are on the matter of wrath how then has the Lord have mercy on us been reflected through time there's so many examples that I feel almost negligent in skipping through things like this but I just have to this wonderful one for me is Bach's B minor Mass right at the start (laughs) Lay us the Greek text. You can just feel the kind of. <laughs> so we have the minor key G minor, a uh, B minor and this kind of massive cry at the beginning. And then, Bach writes a fugue. So there's the, this tendency to fall type of phrase, kind of imploring phrase. There's the next entry in the dominant key. And clearly in Bach's mind, many scholars have gone into this and there's no time here to examine it, this, the fugue means much to Bach, as it probably did to many of his contemporaries. The symbolism in music in the Baroque era, Bach is, um, died in 1759, um, is 1750, was it? 1685, 1750, um, is very, very important. Kind of sharing of ideas back and forth, not just one line, but a shared exchange of an idea. His famous example is the Trinity Fugue for the organ, the St. Anne Fugue. It's in four parts, but the whole work, the whole fugue is in three segments, it's in three flats, and it's in a triple meter. (laughs) And uh, that, and the the interval of a third, frequents the uh, counterpoint the sixth Um, that kind of symbolism was the bread and butter of the creative uh, bench if you will of these composers but particularly of Bach so the instruments state this kind of reflective interchange four statements of the theme and then the choir comes in tenors first this is being conducted by the Tokyo Baroque Ensemble Suzuki is a conductor a Christian uh, and I think amongst other Japanese musicians having become Christians in part through studying the music of Bach there are the altos there's an organist in Japan who became a Christian through studying the organ music of Bach <laughs> so there's some inherent goodness in the music and of course we have to mention I'm going to mention uh, Roger Scruton would be very pleased with me You cannot avoid the issue of beauty there's beauty here could spend all day defining that uh I would commend Roger Scruton's uh, YouTube, uh, I think it's a BBC documentary on beauty um, which he mischievously um, uh, presents largely in the Tate Modern Gallery so uh, talk about being negative but he um, it's a wonderful uh, documentary we've shied away from that, oh it's subjective, you can't say what's beautiful yes you can, (laughs) and this is For me, personally, this could just go on. <laughs> Bach seems at pains not to draw attention to himself, and in order to do that, crafts his music so intricately, so perfectly. As so mu- is so often the case with the arts, the better it is, the less it draws attention to the executives. So you're free to get a glimpse of heaven. A good performance helps. There was a romantic tendency to take these things desperately slowly. Um, I think the scholarship behind this has yielded a a very sane approach to that lovely music. Um... Now, there's a fascinating um, composer. Schnittke. I I didn't bring the actual disc. I've got it here. I've got the music here. Schnittke, S-C-H-N-I-T-T-K-E, a Russian composer who died in 1998, um, had a career under the Soviet regime, which, like for so many musicians, ended up in... um, great unhappiness Um, but his father was posted diplomatically to Vienna where he suddenly caught this love of music later on in great ill health he uh, became a Christian and uh, wrote basic, based on the uh, Russian Orthodox traditions a set of psalms it's called psalms but they're really poems and this is um, oh Lord I'm sorry I've I, I gone and left the text behind anyway it's essentially saying you'll hear it <laughs> oh wretched man that I am will you have mercy on me this is what his here dissonance is used I mean evident dissonance sustained dissonance because this is no laughing matter It has something of that, that uh, Russian Orthodox Rachmaninoff style Vespers sound. Um, solemn, rich, and elo- above all, a deep thread of lament. Um, something which I think we have lost a bit, not just in our music. It's crying for mercy. Very difficult music. Another glimpse of heaven, which is that there's the power, there's the power and the glory. But there is also our situation before our triune God. Um, It's the intensity. It's the depth. It's the further dimension which these composers, I think, have caught. Um, No easy access into God's presence. In one sense, of course, it is easy and wonderful, but in another sense we can't saunter into God's presence and I think most of these composers have caught that Um, it is in fact a strain of modesty in the work which should I think always feed into or mark uh, true creativity this is a very interesting work by John Tavener a um, British-based composer who died recently converted to Russian uh, sorry, converted to orthodoxy. Um, his choral works are fascinating. Just listen to a bit of this. This is another lament. It's an ode. So he's using chant, Byzantine style chant. And the choir will come in going to let this run for a while. What we'll hear is a choir responding uh, with this beautiful phrase, again, imploring mercy. But it, it has this kind of effect. And the next time it's down in pitch. And it comes next time it's down in pitch a bit further. melismas. Love about uh, Orthodox worship is it goes on. <laughs> Have mercy on me, O oh Lord. Like a litany then? The ode is a major um, performance form, I mean a composition form, poetic form in the reformed worship tradition. Um, orthodox worship tradition. So we have a contrast of a single line, monody and the choral response of the people, if you like, not that they could easily join in. to um, a young Christian uh, recently out of UBC who has become orthodox and she was explaining the four-hour services that she's been going through because it's their Easter. So the piece is getting lower and lower There's no metrical going on and there's no slap beat. The, almost static in its impact. That is, you think you become—it's sort of timeless. <laughs> Don't quite know how to express it, but um, it's a dimension of worship, and I think an aspect of heaven um, that is our is time-driven existence, including time-driven worship, doesn't allow for readily. You can't put this on every week in church, but um, its place in the artistic contribution to life is I think very very rich um, others this is another one I'd like us to suspend a moment listening to um, have another approach this comes from a very sensuous you might say harmonic language but knowing that the man was a devoted Christian um, affected nonetheless Maurice de Ruffley's Kyrie have you know the opening of our communion service. Christ have mer- Lord have mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. This, however, um, from the requiem. So there is uh, let light, etern- light eternal shine on the deceased. But you get this very very rich, um, this very very rich palette. Mr. 20th century composer, um, organist and music director at uh, La Trinité in Paris. A very um, self-critical composer, destroying much of what he wrote. He and his wife toured as wonderful organists, a very modest couple, the music quite intricate. David Poon has played a toccata of De Rufle's um, recent history here. So there is the Liberame uh, plain chant which has been woven into the whole texture, so there's a kind of reference to that which is in the creativity. So the effect really is ethereal. (laughs) Um, There's the plain chant again. Running water um, motif has has a something of a uh, an eternal dimension to it, endless dimension. This is more of a reference back to the old style. So we're now into counterpoint and imitation. and over this he imposes the plain chant again in slow motion in the brass except this organ College, Cambridge, hearing through, it's not too much longer. We notice of course how we're very much tied to the Latin texts in these pieces. That says something. It's glorious. <laughs> Reference to the plain chant in the organ. It's gorgeous music if you can get it, <laughs> but it does us good, and uh, you can't get it everywhere. It's impossible. You need that quality of performance to make it come alive, as most of these performances have done. Um, So Maurice de Rufle, uh, significant because there's been a whole school of imitators of him, I don't mean that in a negative way at all, influenced by him, writing anthems and and, uh, settings for the church, which can be tackled on a smaller scale by choirs that are not uh, rehearsing twice a day and (laughs) that kind of thing. Um, This is an interesting, a work by a very interesting composer, Frank Martin, Swiss composer, um, 20th century, died, I'm not sure of his dates, I'm ashamed to say, but, or do I have them? It doesn't really matter, it's, you know, I, I think towards the end of the last century. Um, he wrote a beautiful setting of the Eucharist, or the Mass. Uh, he was a Protestant, but he wrote it in Latin, um, and was so self-effacing, much like Maurice de Rufle, except he didn't tear up his music, but he felt that the composer just had to back right out, let the music stand there. Um, to what extent he achieved that, you'd have to judge. But this is his Annus Day from his uh, Mass. Uh, interestingly, just uh, performed by the Trinity Western mm-hmm. Choir, a Latin a mass. Anyway, um, (laughs) with their new conductor, Joel Tranquilla, they did a very good job. This is for double choir. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. It's a unique kind of tonality, the uh, tonal palette. So this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world text. trouble with uh, trying to rehearse and learn and teach this kind of music is you need a choir that's always there it's no good coming out when you've split your choir and somebody says oh I forgot we have to bury the cat this Sunday and you've lost your tenor on that choir and the piece is shot appeal, a real cry, not for mercy, but reflecting on mercy, it taketh away the sin of the world, Here, well yes, for mercy, um, hear our prayer. So Frank Martin himself, a committed Christian, um, believing it took this richness and this texture and density of texture to get over this weighty aspect, this truth of the Lamb of God, and there throughout that there's a pulsing. Oh, 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 from the second choir, and this offbeat music over the top. It's settled down now. And talking of pulsing underlying stuff too the walk to the cross and those dissonances the pain St. Bark St. John Passion. Again a constant moving da 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 There's this forward movement, it's not static. This points us a little more to the glory of God, for that is in the text. Yes, the Lord crucified. Even in the utmost degradation, it says in a translation, you've been glorified. So you've got that great cry from the choir. Lord, our sovereign, whose fame is glorious in all the world. Herr unser Herrscher. Dissonances. Now we've got this kind of group or crowd response. a major key, not a minor key, yet this throbbing, underlying uh, foundation gives a solemnity and a menace, in fact, for what's going to come up in the St. John Passion account, Uh, but also looking beyond that. course Handel had another approach to this
1: again using counterpoint
0: this is in a minor key it's very sparse It's a strange approach perhaps to a text you might expect to result in very slow, reflective, sorrowful music. There's almost a hint of glory this glorious wounds kind of motif in this the setting of this. dipping, dropping phrase usually has to do with sadder things. Rise. There's a triumphant note in it. Goes on into uh, oh, wait, oh,
1: wait,
0: wonderful description of sheep. turns to the solemn aspect hath laid on him It's one of the most deeply moving performances of the Messiah I've heard of, am only to discover that the director, John Butt, <laughs> is a Christian. He's interviewed by um, Ken Myers on his uh Marcel Audio journal, um, and also happened to be the organ scholar playing for that Derufle recording when he was organ scholar at King's College. I made a mistake earlier, I'm very sorry, when I mentioned Schnittke. It's Alfred Schnittke. I got the name wrong, I'm sorry. And he was born in 1934. Um, that's just a reference back. I, I want to leave time for questions, but I wanted to uh, illustrate light, glory, light. This is um, the uh, contemporary composer shorty, uh, Lig- Ligeti or Ligeti. How do I pronounce that? Is that right? <laughs> um, and. This is light, again based on the um, Requiem text. Extraordinary depiction of light as it might possibly appear in heaven. Lux Aeterna. His, it's spelled L-I-G-E-T-I the composer's name this is in 16 parts <laughs> so probably each member of the choir has one part only I don't know how big the choir is good idea if you've buried the cat by the time you do this. <laughs> you, of course, you need, you need perfect tuning, perfect blend, everything. But What's wrong with that? Um, why not go- ink that? Play it all, but it's long. <laughs> it's a good eight minutes, so I'll fade it in just a sec. <clears throat> it's coming to unison. So all that complexity and it comes back to one. I think it's brilliant um, but it's very difficult to do and you're not going to hear it every week um, I'd like to end before we uh, have questions with a uh, person I per- uh, personally feel comes out with such convincing vision and skill and humility in the this whole issue of glimpses or intimations of heaven in its bark for me I and mean, it could be anyone but for me personally bark captures it and i'll end with that this is about the spirit so <laughs> spiritu, to with the holy spirit aspect of the glory of the glory A yes, the communal, the fellowship aspect. Says you, says they. Oh, someone else is going to join in, in a minute. It's not just a solo, it's an ensemble, a co- community. Affirmative, That's a great amen. The dance. Such a strong component of Baroque music underlying this solo. That's what I think it will be like, (laughs) but much more.